Hello, everybody. This is Bob Cooney coming to you live from the Greenlight Insights Virtual Reality Strategy Conference in beautiful downtown San Francisco. And I am here with Jan Goodluck Guteluck, who <laughs> Good is uh, founder and CEO of Virtuix Omni. That's the right, Jan. Yeah. Founder and CEO of Virtuix. So we make the Omni, which is the first ever uh, virtual reality treadmill, omnidirectional treadmill that enables you to walk and run around in VR games and applications. Uh, so a 360 degree movement inside VR. It's amazing. So I remember when you um, launched on Kickstarter uh, back, when was that? Four years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Four, so 2013? 13, summer of 2013. Yeah. And, and had, so talk to me, give me the beginning. Like, how did it start? How did you come up with the idea? And let's talk a little uh -huh. bit about that. Yeah, I started working on the Omni in early 2012 already, way before VR was cool again. <laughs> I was part of the early VR community at the time with Palmer Lucky and some others. We were on these online forums. And I thought VR was going to be the next big thing uh, back then. And I realized, in my opinion, the biggest problem that hadn't been solved in VR at that time was how to walk around in VR. I didn't want to sit down on a chair and push buttons on a gamepad or a keyboard. I wanted to walk around naturally in VR games and applications. And for that, you need a treadmill, but a treadmill in 360 degrees, an omnidirectional treadmill. And that's how I decided to start working on, on the Omni. Now, I saw some of those at CES several years ago that were like mechanical treadmills, and they were really complicated and probably ridiculously expensive, and I haven't seen any of those make it into market. What makes yours different? Yeah, we don't uh, use any motorized uh, systems. Uh, I, I don't think those are economically or, or even technically feasible beyond just a prototype. Uh, mm. So our product is a passive device. It's based on low friction. You're walking on a, uh, on a concave low friction platform with special footwear, and, and so you are your, your own controller. Uh, it's a passive device, non-motorized, no moving uh, belts, no moving parts, which also helps a lot in, in, in maintenance uh, and, and, and keeping the, the product running for a long time. And there's some sort of a harness that you kind of put yourself into that supports you so you can move and then you put something on your feet? What are That's right, yeah, you wear footwear that, that has also trackers that tracks your movement mm. uh, and you have a harness on as well. Uh, so you are safe, you can't fall, you can't hurt yourself. So the Omni allows people to you know, play multiplayer games, um, for example, first person shooters, uh, but safely. You can't hurt yourself, you can't hit walls, you're not gonna hit other players, but you can have that multiplayer FPS or other VR experience in a small room, in a small footprint, you don't need much space either. So that's yeah. that's what we uh, what we offer. And then what do you have to put on your feet? Do you put is it shoes or is it like a little booties that go over your shoes? Or? Right now it's Omni footwear, Omni shoes. Uh, we are working on on slip-ons for the future as well. But right now it's Omni Omni shoes that that you put on. Okay, and so just to get a little bit of a rat rat hole, um, as an operator, right? Because this the um, the audience for this podcast is generally amusement operators. Um, do they need to keep a range of sizes like a bowling alley where you'd have like all these shoes? Is that how it works? Right now, yes. Right okay. now you do keep various shoe sizes. They're quite uh, versatile, so you don't need to have every size, but okay. you need to have a couple of different, different and do you, sizes. Do you sell them that spray stuff that they do in the bowling alley <laughs> we too? We don't sell it, but a lot of our operators actually have it. Yeah, okay, cool. exactly. So um, I use that as a reference to the kind of some of the uh, um, 
of hygiene theater, I call it, with mm -hmm. VR, where definitely. you want to definitely show people that it's safe and clean. And so making a show of wiping down headsets and HMDs and earphones and spraying the shoes exactly. is probably an important yeah. part of the operation. Yeah, some operators even use uh, some of these plastic booties that people wear over their, their socks. Yeah, uh, okay. Before wearing the shoes. We've seen it all before. All so, of that is, is, is so we'll come back to the operation stuff. So give me, set the context for now, you've been selling this since 2014. Yeah. Um, you started out as a consumer product, right? We started out as a consumer product, uh, but last year we decided to actually uh, transition away from the consumer market to the commercial market. So our main market right now is commercial entertainment, out of home, uh, virtual reality entertainment. We've shipped over 2,000 Omnis this year to date. Uh, wow. We've installed Omnis in over 500 commercial venues all over the world. We work with distributors in Asia, uh, Europe, South and Central America. So we are a, a global company. We have an office in the US and in China. But that is our main market. Right now, uh, out of home entertainment, we believe is the market for VR and it's also the, the best market for our product. Mm, interesting. So you got a couple of thousand units out there. So 500 locations, does that mean the average is four per location? How does it distribute out usually? Yeah, typically uh, it's two to four, but then in, in, in Asia, particularly with China, you have locations that have you know 12 Omnis, 10 wow. Omnis, some of these uh, these Asian locations tend to uh, to go really big, yeah, uh, and so we've seen that as well. All right, so so let's talk a little bit about Asia, and then we'll focus on the Americas. So, um, just because I think the Asian market for VR is really interesting, it's a very different place than the rest of the world, um, especially China. What have you guys experienced, learned in China? What are some of the interesting insights you're finding there? Yeah, yeah, China is already now onto the second wave. The first wave in China happened last year, where you know, the Chinese, they go very fast, very aggressive, and if you don't go now, you'll, you'll be eaten up alive. So they went in very fast in commercial entertainment. Uh, you had VR arcades in China popping up everywhere, literally everywhere, every corner of the street. And there was a true mm. trace, money pouring into that space. And what uh, came to be, what people found out was, well, it doesn't work that way. It's not that I open up a VR arcade on, the, on this, corner of the street and, and people will show up. Well, they don't show up. So China already went through this big boom and somewhat of a bust of VR arcades that just went went too big and too much too early. And now they are recovering from that. Now you see in China the first successful franchises, the first successful arcades uh, continuing to grow and take it from there. Okay, cool. And then in, in the US, um, are you, you, I think you told me earlier that you're seeing so the product is distributed by multiple parties in the U.S. Unis is one of the companies. Um, you're selling some into family entertainment centers, but the most of most of the you said the deployments have been more of these traditional, well, traditional, whatever that means, virtual reality arcades that we're seeing that are popping up. Is that that that's right? The biggest market are these um, these new businesses, new virtual reality arcades, new gaming centers focused on on VR or, or immersive entertainment. Those. Uh, are, are actually, I think, make up the, the, the most of the market. The traditional FECs, family entertainment centers, traditional amusement parks are also dipping their toes into, into VR um, and have also been, been a strong market for us. But that's a bit of a different market uh, yeah. to see it. So, so let's talk a little bit about VRKs, then we'll talk about some of the challenges in the more traditional family entertainment center business. Um, what, what are you seeing in the VR arcade space? What's working, what's not working? Yeah, the VR arcade space now also in the US is, is, is seemingly taking off. Uh, a bit more cautious uh, than in Asia, 
been slow to take off. But right now, uh, we receive so many inquiries, and so are, are you probably, people that want to open up a VR arcade or have just opened up an arcade or, or are exploring. Um, and so there's a lot of interest, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, we also see the first successful VR arcades in the US uh, that are making money, that are mm. profitable, that are seeing repeat customers that are building up their, up their customer base. So it is working, it is starting to work. But uh, not all of them are successful. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different factors that, that make up whether an arcade will be successful or not. So what are some of those factors from your experience? We see what, what works well is uh, diversity. Don't have just a few uh, HMDs with room scale setups. The arcades that work well have a bunch of cool stuff. They have racing simulators, they have a few Omnis, they have a few room scale setups. Heck, they may have an old Atari or a Nintendo to keep yeah. people busy when they're not in VR. So that kind of uh, uh, diverse offering uh, seems to work really well. Those, yeah. those, but those you know, require more capital, frankly, to get started. But ultimately, those are the ones that, that work the best. Yeah, interesting. And then what about, um, what about experiences? What types of experiences within the Omni um, seem to be the most popular? Yeah, so the Omni comes with uh, Omniverse. Omniverse is our own content platform, uh, now with 15 games where the operator, uh, for the operator to choose from. And more games are coming every month, and those include some of the top VR titles. Uh, that 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 you probably know uh, affected another another. Yeah. So what 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 has to happen for a top title mm -hmm. in the consumer space to make it onto the Omniverse platform? Yeah. It, it, first of all, to answer your first question, what is the most popular? What mm -hmm. works the best? It's multiplayer. People want to play with their friends or against their friends, and of course, the first-person shooter multiplayer is extremely popular, and that that works well. Yep. Uh, but every game on our platform is optimized for the Omni, is also somewhat optimized for VR arcades, because some of these games are meant for consumers at home, and they're available on Steam, and it doesn't always translate directly into a VR arcade experience. So we work with these developers to simplify games, skip certain sections, make sure it's clear what people or players need to do. Uh, so it's a, a lot of back and forth with the game developer to, to make sure their game is a good fit for out-of-home entertainment. Yeah, and for those of you that are new to the VR space that are listening, um, Steam is an online uh, game store that's run by Valve, which specifically has really taken off in the VR space. You can buy all kinds of online games on your PC or whatever on Steam, but it's become kind of like the clearinghouse for VR, for not for VR game experiences for HTC and Oculus, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, um, speaking of platforms, do you, does your stuff work with any is it is it hardware agnostic regarding tracking systems and um, and HMDs or is it specific to one platform? Yeah, it used to be agnostic. Right now, actually, we are fully focused on the HTC Vive yep. simply because our customers, the operators, use HTC Vive. Until recently, Oculus did not have a commercial offering, yeah. which they are now uh, rectifying. Yeah. But until uh, recently. Uh, really only HTC Vive had a, a, a commercial headset. Yeah, and I think so I've seen it's like 90% of the VR arcades are running HTC. Right, uh, and, then, and then you go to Asia and China, there is no Oculus in China, for yeah. example. And so our platform right now is, is uh, I'd say, uh, focused uh, on HTC Vive. Okay, uh, and then so, um, so the, 
so so social experiences by the way if you've been listening you've heard see me write talk about social 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 um, and we're gonna do some work to try to get some more game developers building experiences for these types of platforms in this business if I'm if I have anything to do with it um, but but the notion of taking consumer games into the out-of-home space talk to me about like specifically what are the challenges in that what's like what's been working what's not working where do you see you still have to like ch change some stuff to make it successful. Yeah, the, the biggest challenge is that in an arcade you don't have much time to explain to a player what they need to do. So the biggest complaint we hear is, oh, I started this game, I didn't know what I had to do, I was totally confused, and I lost five minutes and then my time was up. So mm. that, that is the biggest challenge that, um, that we work uh, with developers on to, to make sure that, uh, that we can overcome that. Um, one misconception was one is that developers tell us, well, my game is so long and it's not a fit for arcades. Well, that we, we solve with our platform thanks to our platform's um, save game functionality. So our platform, Omniverse, if you log in with your user account, you can play a game and that game will automatically save your progress. So you can stop playing after 30 minutes, come back next week and just keep playing exactly where you left off a week earlier. Mm. So we think that that may stimulate repeat gameplay, may stimulate people to get hooked to a certain game and come back, you know, same time, same place, you know, next week uh, and play longer form games. So our story to developers is if you have a long form game, an adventure game or a, a four hour long first person shooter campaign, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, we think it may work for the first time. I think this hasn't been done before, but yeah, I think it may work for VR case thanks, so, thanks to our, so, our functionality. So let's talk about pricing then, because I think there's pricing questions around that model. So first of all, do you recommend that people price per minute? I have some concerns that I've talked about and we'll continue to talk about until we learn um, around per minute pricing or per hour pricing because I feel like it commoditizes the experience and historically the amusement industry has been about selling the experience not selling time and time's an inherent you know if you believe time is a thing time is an inherent part of our life but should we sell experiences based on time give me your opinion on that and what you've learned yeah we, we leave it up to the operator to choose how, how they charge and we've seen every possible option uh, Per the ride, you know, ten dollars for a ride or session, mm. or you know, per half hour blocks or fifty minute blocks or by the minute, uh, and we leave it up to the operator. Our our platform is agnostic of how the operator wants to charge his customers. We, on the other hand, our games, the third party games that are not free, there's five free games on the platform, but the other ones, it's charged by the minute to the operator. So he will pay uh, through us to the developer on a buy the minute per per minute basis okay but he can charge his customers however he wants, however he wants yeah. and so um how, how do the splits work can you talk about that as far as revenue splits because that's another piece that's i think evolving in the industry yeah yeah the splits uh, we, we use the, the the more traditional splits it's not, it's not publicly disclosed but uh, the developer gets uh, the majority and yep. then we take a cut and also our distributors take a cut as well and okay. our distributors are the ones that that distribute uh, the hardware systems to the arcade operators. We want those to be involved as well. We want them to take care of customers. We want yeah. them to promote the game. So uh, there's a split among those three parties. And then how much does the operator pay? That part I'm sure is you can disclose. So yeah, yeah. So in the in the U.S. it's it's ten cents per minute. Okay, ten, 10 cents, cents per minute. And the recommended, like what I'm seeing is you know thirty to cents to a dollar a minute seems to be the range for 
any kind of VR arcade experience with IMAX at the top end and these crappy VR arcade pop-ups on the low end, where do you guys fit in Yeah, that? we are on a, typically on the higher end as well. Our operators, because with the Yamni, you can offer some unique experiences yeah. that can't be had any other way, like a first-person shooter. There's no other way you can play a first-person shooter with your friend in VR. And so our operators tend to, f to charge about a dollar per minute. Okay. For Omni gameplay as well. So a ten cents a minute versus a buck a minute. It's like ten percent of the top line. Ten percent, and then if you take into account that some of the, the big games on our platform are for free. Yeah. Omni, Omni Arena, for example, is one of the most popular ones. It's our own game. It's for free. So yeah. the, the actual percentage uh, is probably lower. So what percent. makes that game the most popular? Do you think? It's a multiplayer game, <laughs> up to four players. It's an arena-style shooter, a multiplayer first-person shooter. Uh, either 1v1 or 2v2 or co-op you can mm. play with your friend uh, it, it's incredibly fun and it's something that again you can't do it anywhere else so that, yeah. that's what what makes it uh, quite quite spectacular All right so um, so let's talk a little bit about the family entertainment center business and the more traditional amusement industry and some of the challenges that you've seen getting um, VR specifically you know with your product but I think it probably applies to most VR systems to be successful in the more traditional out-of-home industry yeah the traditional FEC industry and out-of-home industry I mean, VR is not an easy uh, product for them VR is messy VR requires a lot of hand-holding uh, VR requires uh, technically adept staff that can fix bugs because still a lot of crashes happen uh, yep. with, with the hardware products and, and the software. And I think that's been the biggest challenge for the traditional industry is how do I staff this right? Traditionally, mm. you know, a lot of arcade machines are coin-op. You just put it there and you don't have to look at it. Uh, and, and it just starts to make money. VR is not like that. You need to have good staff. You need to have friendly staff that can teach players. You need to have uh, technical staff that can fix problems and so it's there's a lot more involved uh, that it, frankly also increases the cost you need yeah. to have uh, hourly staff uh, at all times for uh, those machines and so I think that that's been uh, to work at that equation, I think, has not been easy for the traditional FEC industry. Can you float staff? Can you, like, during non-peak hours, can you have your, you know, your arcade manager keep an eye on that? And if somebody wants to play, play? Or do you have to have somebody there all the time? No, you can definitely float staff. But when it gets busy, it gets busy. And yeah. so... Um, VR just needs a lot more attention. Yeah. So if you have a attraction. if you have a two player setup, which is I think the the probably the typical installation yeah, at a family so, entertainment yeah. center, yeah. does it one employee for two customers? Oh or? yeah, that's, okay. that's plenty. Yeah, yeah. And then if you go to four, do you need two or can? If you have four, you can have one employee in slow times, but when it gets busy, you need two. Uh, you probably need two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then what are how how does the um the the quality of the staff? Let's talk about that because I've heard a lot of people mention that before. Um, one of the things that I've talked about is the context challenge that we have around explaining VR and why people want to play it to get beyond just the novelty trial factor. Um, yeah. Do you find that the sales staff has to be, the, the, the staff has to be selling? It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. VR is still a bit awkward. People have to put this thing on their face. Yeah. Uh, and so the staff has to be very sociable, has to be comforting players, make sure they know what to do, train them properly. Uh, and so I think there's a strong correlation between the success of a location and the quality of their staff. Mm. If you have not 
that great staff that is shy or that very they're speaking up or you know your customers are not going to have a good time yeah i mean it's like a restaurant business do you want your customers to come in and be greeted and hello how are you and feel great or you know you want them to just you know enter, enter like a mcdonald's style experience uh, the better the staff the better experience for the customer and the better uh, success you will have as, as a, an out-of-home entertainment location. Yeah, so do you, do you find your successful locations are like uh, the, on the arcade side, how are they hiring and recruiting and paying staff? Do you get visibility into that? Do you talk to them at all? I don't have much visibility on that, but our, our recommendation is always, look, don't, don't go for minimum wage staff. Yeah. Don't pay your staff more. Hire, hire students. Hire, yeah. hire, you know, Social people, like people, just, people that are enthusiastic rise. about VR exactly, too. That, yes. that was something that they talked yeah. about at the Foil Conference on the panel. Is like hire good people, pay them well, and it'll yeah. trickle into um, exactly. the business in exactly. a lot of ways. It's again something that the traditional industry may not be used to. Yeah, uh, but I, I think it's a must. Yeah, it's definitely been a conversation as minimum wage um, laws are starting to trickle out amongst the states. There's been a lot of conversation within the industry around. You know, can family entertainment centers even survive as minimum wage goes up? And how is that? And there's a lot of fear around wages and what to pay people. Yeah. What about, um, so back to pricing, I didn't ask this question. Um, so when you take a consumer game and you put um, a long game, maybe a long form game into a, an arcade, and then you're charging by the minute, um, how does that how does that work as far as like the learning curve? Like, can you expect people to pay $10 to go through a 10 minute learning curve of a game? And then at the end, they're like, ah, oh, all I did was learn it. Is that reasonable? Like, how does that work? Well, it's again up to the operator, how he wants to charge his customers. Uh, we don't charge, our system doesn't charge uh, any players or doesn't charge the operator for any time spent in the lobby, spent in the tutorials. That's all free of charge, if you will. Once, once you launch a game, you know, time start, starts ticking. But it's up, again up to the operator. Some operators say, you know what, I'm not gonna charge you for the first five minutes or, or, or you know. And your platform has the ability to manage those types of things or? It's, a, it's, a, it's independent of that. Our platform is independent of how the operator charges his customers. Gotcha, yeah. it just keeps track of time and then the customer can, the operator can decide how he's gonna charge for that time. Exactly, yeah. What about um, the card systems, like um, you know, Intercard and Sokoa and stuff, do you find, have you integrated with those? Are people using them, are you getting insights out of that? Yeah, we are looking to, to integrate with that and with a point of sale. Um, it's challenging, there's so many different systems, so many different ways that, that people do business. Hmm. Uh, mind you, our platform is a global platform. Uh, yeah, literally every continent on, on the planet. So it's it, it's hard to make it work for everybody, but I think it's important. I think it's important that there is some integration with with the point of sale. So that but you haven't done that yet because I know the FECs are yet. all on these card systems now. That's become yeah. almost yeah. a standard operating procedure within the family. We haven't done that yet. Right now, it's again independent from our platform. Yeah, uh, the FEC will just charge the card, or swipe the card yeah. separately, yeah. and then just launch the games. Uh, gotcha. On, on the Omni. Okay, yeah. cool. What am I forgetting to ask? How can you buy one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so talk about yep. distribution. Like, so I know Eunice is distributing it, which is probably going through the traditional coin-op amusement yep. distributors. Yeah, yeah. But you've also got other people distributing the product. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, we have distributors in, uh, all over the world. And if you go to our website, virtuix.com, uh, and that's V-I-R-T-U-I-X.com. V-I-R-T-U-I-X.com, virtuix.com. You'll see our, our distributor list. Uh, you can also send us a direct note and we'll uh, direct you to the appropriate uh, 
uh, sales partner and uh, he will uh, provide you with a quote and then hopefully get you uh, an Omni uh, very soon. Yeah, what's the cost like? So what's a, what's a setup? How does it work? Yeah, again, it depends on, on the area in the world and, and, and the local pricing. But typically, uh, you could expect an Omni package to cost uh, maybe around six or seven or eight thousand uh, dollars, including the, the accessories you need. And then we've seen sometimes and that's per player, right? Per player, yeah. yeah. And then maybe bundled with a PC and a headset, it probably amounts to ten or twelve thousand dollars or so for the for the whole package. Okay. Which, in the grand scheme of things, is is quite reasonable compared to you know warehouse scale uh, setups or other yeah. intrinsic setups. So it's another benefit we have is that you can have these these uh, exciting multiplayer experiences for a relatively low investment cost uh, and again you don't need much space you don't need much space beyond uh, uh, you know maybe you know 10 foot by 10 foot or yeah. 10 foot by 20 foot for a setup is anybody doing anything regarding tournaments esports competition um, in the at home space that you're familiar with it's a great question yeah a lot of our operators actually have been doing competitions uh, omni arena which is our flagship title it is actually meant to be an esports title yep. because you can compete 1v1 or 2v2 and, and so we've seen that our operators are organizing tournaments at their location. You know, every mm. Saturday, come compete for uh, the title of Omni Arena champion and win prizes. And so that has been uh, that has been coming up. Yeah. Have you guys looked at doing anything on a big on a global scale or a national scale to do like a sponsored tournament and tie your locations together? I haven't done that yet. The biggest tournament we had was in China. No surprise, Shenzhen. Uh, Eleven million viewers. <laughs> That we're looking on at Twitch the, on uh, or whatever the Chinese version right, of Twitch is lo local st locally streams yeah. 11 million viewers watching a, a live tournament with four Omnis 2v2 yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way if you guys don't know what Twitch is um, I highly recommend going online and going to twitch.com and checking it out it's um, it's actually the internet now and so the next generation of your customers are uh, are probably spending more time on Twitch than any other website. So check it out. It's basically live streaming of games. And if you're not into gaming and, and esports, it might fascinate you to see what happens online. So uh, yeah, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Any any thoughts of integrating with Twitch or like what do you have plans you can talk about around esports yet or are you still not yet? Uh, we think it'll, it, that will take some time to grow. Yeah. Um, and so I think it will grow. Uh, organically we're not making an active push for that so we'll see where that goes is that a function of install base for you or because it feels like like a couple of thousand sites right half of those in china you have to separate those out but you know a thousand a thousand units um feels like a pretty substantial mm -hmm. install base yeah yeah it, it becomes uh, meaningful it becomes meaningful to organize uh, global events or to to uh, it, it, it would be uh, interesting to do something like that. We haven't yeah. gotten to it yet. Though. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe we could talk about that offline. Yeah, so, yeah. All right, cool. Well, Jan, thanks for joining us. Um, the company is Virtuix. The product is Virtuix Omni. You can check it out at virtuix.com. Um, and you'll probably see it. You certainly see it at IAPA coming up. Yeah, yeah, we will um, be there in a few weeks. Uh, and that'll be at the Unis booth. Unis booth to Omni setup. Okay, cool. I would ch highly recommend checking it out. Bring your VR um, ninja masks, and <laughs> um, and we'll see you. And I look forward to seeing you all at IAPA. And stay tuned for more from the Greenlight Insights Virtual Reality Strategy Conference 2017. Uh, this is Bob Cooney for Replay Magazine. Talk to you soon.